The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. This chapter is just a wonderful thing uh, in the sense of that we understand what God is trying to reveal to us could not be revealed to us except in the way that God revealed it. Isn't it interesting that things that God, uh, God does cannot be done except the way God does them? In other words, we say sometimes, God, I want you to do this, or God, it should be done that way, or God should be... Listen, the God way, the way God does things always the best way. But here, here's the thing. The way God does things is, is, is the only way. That it can't be done another way. It, can't, it can be counterfeited, it can be, it can be faked, it can be frauded, but it cannot be done, not genuinely, not authentically, not, not lasting uh, the way God does things. See, when Jesus brought salvation, he did it in a way that nobody else could do it. Nobody else could do what Jesus did. It could not, and listen, isn't it such, uh, such an affront to the Lord, such an affront to God that we would think that we could make another way to God other than the way that he made for us. Isn't that an affront to God? We're, we're telling God, God, we can come to you the way we want to come to you. And God says, no, no, you could not come to me at all without me. You could not even come. You were not able to come except I make the way. And boy, he made the way. When the sun was lifted up, he drew all men to himself that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the way has been made plain. The way has been made simple. The way is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the relationship, that is the way to a relationship without God. See, in the Garden of Eden, man sinned, man failed, wherefore is by one man. Sin entered in the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, right? So we've all sinned. So let's be honest today. As much as we put on our Sunday best and we're trying not to be a mess, we are a mess. And as, as much as we're trying to act like we got it all together, we don't. And as much as we're trying to act like we never sinned, we know we have. And that uh, we've sinned and we've sinned again and we've sinned again. As a matter of fact, we have a really hard time not sinning, don't we? It's not that, that, that just we say, well, well, well I'm, I'm not going to sin again. No, no, it's just like, when's the next? When is, how long is it going to be before I do it again? <laughs> how, how long is it going to be before I sin? Because we're all going to sin, aren't we? We're going to do wrong. And if you're say, Listen, if you say that you have no sin, the Bible says you make him a liar and the truth is not in you. If you, if you say you have no sin, you're lying. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to everybody else. And everybody knows you're lying because we all know we're sinners. I know I'm not sinlessly perfect. I know I'm not righteous. I know that I'm a sinner. How about you? And the, the most freeing thing you can do is just admit what you are. It, it, it's admitting what you are. And, and boy, uh, uh, psychology has tried to, tried to uh, uh, have the trappings of this in, in their way of breaking addictions, haven't they? What, what's the first thing they tell you to do? Admit that you have a problem, right? Admit that you have a problem. Well, most of us won't do that when we come to church. We, we try to come to church and admit we don't have any problems, and we all know we have them, and we've got lots of them. Even as Christians, you know, we think that after salvation, we need to act like we're sinlessly perfect. Boy, that's a mistake. That's a real mistake because then I'm looking across the room and I'm thinking, I'm struggling with this. Is anybody else? I'm having, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with this. Is anybody else? I'm discouraged. Is anybody else? I, I, I'm, I'm battling with depression. Is anybody else? I, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling this. Is anybody else? I, I'm, I'm having financial difficulty. Is anybody else? We look around the room. No, we're not having any problems at all. No, we all have problems, don't we? We all have problems. And God wants us to be honest about what we are. And until we're honest about what we are, we can't honestly have all that he is. 
Because a lot of times we're trying to fill all our empty spaces with us. And God says, you can't fill your empty spaces with you. You're the reason why you got the empty spaces to begin with. I want to fill your empty spaces. See, he told the woman at the well, he said, if you drink of the water I give you, you never thirst again. You never thirst again. See, we're trying to fill all the void, aren't we? With technology, with entertainment, with, listen, we're trying to fill the, vo- fill the void. Listen, some of us, uh, we got, I, don't, I, got a, I got a sound, I got a microphone. I was looking for my cell phone. It's a microphone. But, you know, we, we all got a connection, don't we, now to everybody all the time. We're plugged in. We're jacked in. We're, we're part of the network. We're socially connected. We're, we're around. We're around. But yet, in a day where people have never been more socially connected, people are more, people are more socially inept. People are more socially backward. People are, are more socially empty. People are not more fulfilled because they have more of something. They're empty. They're empty. They have more of emptiness. They don't feel full. They feel more empty. They feel more alone. Isn't it amazing that in a world where we feel never alone, where we can always be in contact, connection with others, that we can feel so lonely? That we can feel so alone in the way that we feel and things? And listen to this. The Bible says you have a high priest that's touched with the feelings of your infirmity. See, Jesus knows how you feel. He knows how you feel. And he cares. He cares. I don't always care the way I should. How about you? I wish I cared more. How about you? I wish I cared more about the hurts of others. How about you? I, I wish I cared more about uh, the dregs of society. How about you? I, I wish I-, I cared more about the down and outers. How about you? I wish I cared more about orphans. How about you? I wish I cared more about the poor. How about you? I wish I cared more about the homeless. How about you? I wish I cared more about, uh, I wish I cared more about a lot of things. But the truth of the matter is, is Jesus cares for them all in a way that I could never care for them. And nobody ever cared for me like Jesus. And, uh, you know, the truth is today, I, I've got to allow Jesus to make me what he wants me to be, or I'm going to be at the, at, at the whims of society and what they're forcing me to be and what they're trying to put. See, society says be yourself, and then they tell you a thousand ways to do it. Come on. Be unique. This is what you have to wear to be unique. Uh, be original. This is what you have to have in order to be original. Uh, have original thought and creativity. This is the way you must think in order to be original, have original thought and creativity. That's what the world is doing to us. It's enslaving us. Hey, listen, never has been a time in a people more free than a people who knew God, a people who worship God in spirit and in truth. Never has been a time where people have been more free who have innovated more, who have created more in arts and music and everything else. The Renaissance came after the Bible was given, written. People were enlightened from their dark ages because they received the freedom that they could have in the Lord Jesus Christ. It brought all kinds of new things, including this wonderful thought of freedom, which we enjoy today. We understand that God wants us to be free And he wants us to have this relationship in him. And then he introduces us this mystery. And number one, if you follow along in your handout there, the steward. Who was the steward of the mystery? Just to be quick, it was Paul. Paul was the steward. God told him the first five verses. He says, you're the one who's going to carry this. Paul was introducing this. He says, I'm about to talk to you about something that... We talked about relationship in Christ. And by the way, the Jews were still stumbling over the fact that Gentiles could 
could have a relationship with Christ. And Paul's by and large talking to Gentiles here at Ephesus, and he's talking to them, and, and uh, they're, they're struggling with these, uh, whether or not they need to become a Jew in order to become a Christian, and, and that's the pressure the Jewish uh, traditionalists are putting on them, legalists are, are putting on them, and they're going through all these different thoughts and, and practices, and he's saying, hey, listen, all that you have, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And he sums it all up in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, beautifully in this relationship, and then he gets to chapter 3, and he he says, I'm going to show, I'm going to reveal to you a mystery that God's revealed to me that these people don't understand, that you're not going to understand at first, but this is an awesome thing. Because Paul was writing to a church that didn't understand that yet that they were a church. They didn't understand yet what they were. This was something that was a new thing. This was something they hadn't understood. Listen, they didn't go and open up a, a church manual and say, this is how you're supposed to have church. This is how many deacons you're supposed to have. This is what you're supposed to do. And this is the practice. Where's our articles of incorporation? Where's, where's our church constitution and bylaws? Where's a, you know, where, where's a, they didn't have any of that. They had none of that. Why? Because there was no point or purpose. They didn't even know what they were yet. The, the, the Bible hadn't even talked about church that much. The book of Acts gives us the word, this called out assembly, and now we're seeing some organization instruction being given through the epistles. And Paul is writing to the church that is at Ephesus, and there's this, the mystery here. Paul's talking about the mystery. It's a new relationship. He was a steward of the mystery, a new relationship that they didn't understand. Not only uh, was there the mystery, but there was a minister, and Paul talked about himself as an unlikely minister. In verse 8, he said, unto me who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, verse 9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. He says, I want you to understand what the fellowship of this mystery is. I want you to understand my job, my stewardship, my ministry is now given to the mystery of the church. And boy, Paul did it, didn't he? As we look back, we understand, if I want to know about the church, I read Paul's epistles. If I want to know about being a pastor, I, I read about his letters to Timothy. If, if I want to know, and I understand all inspiration, God's word, but God used Paul. He was the steward. God said, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to reveal. This is what I want to show you. And God used Paul in a, in, in a great way. Not only do we see the steward and the mystery and the minister, but we see the strangers, the strangers, and that is to say the Gentiles. Notice verse number 6, he says this, that the Gentiles, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister. He said, he said here's the Gentiles, these are the strangers. These are, these are people that were afar off but are now nigh. These were people that were separated but are now grafted in. These are, these are people that didn't have a part but now have equal part. Uh, these are the people that didn't understand that were far off. These were pagans and these were, these were Greeks and these were, these were those that were in the world that worshipped other gods. But now, now Jesus Christ has brought all together, the Jew first, the Greek. Uh, he's, he's brought us all together, every nation, tribe, people, language, tongue. Because God loved the world. You with me? Because God loved the world. God didn't just love one sect, one segment, one group. God blessed uh, uh, individually, one sec, one segment, one group to bring uh, that in all the all listen that all the nations of the world would be blessed through what through his seed, and who came through the line? Who came through the the people? Who came through the Jewish people? The Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now we're all blessed 
because of that seed, aren't we? We're all blessed because of that faith. We're all blessed because of that exercise of faith that God introduced in the Old Testament. We're all blessed in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul introduced. And these strangers, these Gentiles, they were afar off. But now notice what he says. They're not strangers. They're fellow heirs. They're fellow heirs. What does that mean? Same benefits in Christ. In other words, we have the same inheritance. We have the same inheritance. We have the same benefits. We have the same blessings. We, we, we have the same promises in Christ. We are, we are the same in the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, you're talking about, I'm not talking about covenant promises that God made. Listen, God's going to turn back to Israel. And uh, God's, uh, uh, we're not the church in a sense uh, that Israel. But we know God is going to one day turn back to Israel. But what God was introducing was that I'm no longer working This way with mankind, I'm now working in a different way, and that is through the dispensation of grace, the church. This is the church age. This is the age of grace. In other words, God has been good to us. God has been merciful to us, hasn't he? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has been uh, so good to us. And listen to me, can I say this to you? It is God's grace that you found yourself, not underneath my preaching today, is God's grace that you've found yourself in a gospel-preaching church where you're going to hear the truth today. That's God's grace. You know, you can never stand before God and say, God, you weren't gracious and merciful to me. You didn't bring me to a place where I could hear. God brought you to a place today where you could hear the gospel. You know, you're going to give an account for what you hear. You're going to give an account for how you respond to what you hear. That's God's grace. You know, it's God's grace that I was able to do the same thing. It was God's grace that I was able to hear the gospel. It was God's grace that I was able to grow up in a Christian home. It was God's grace. It was God's grace that I heard the gospel. That's God's grace. Hasn't God been gracious to us? Do we deserve it? No, it wouldn't be grace if we deserved it. We don't deserve it. God didn't didn't give us grace because we were good. He gave us grace because He is good. Because He is good. It's not about our goodness. It's about His goodness. Our goodness is filthy rags. It's no no goodness. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Uh, God doesn't say good is in comparison to other men. God says good in comparison to God. There's a difference, by the way. Because can we do this today? How good are you in comparison to me? Well, that's debatable, isn't it? How good are you in comparison to your neighbor? Where you sit, you say, well, I know them pretty well. I'm a lot better than they are. How good are, how good are you in comparison to the person you're sitting next to today? How, how good are you in comparison? Listen, you see the problem that we have? The problem when we do this, when we compare, the Bible says they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. Because when we start comparing this way, we have the wrong standard, don't we? Because then we're beginning to say that we're the standard. In other words, who's the greatest among us? Well, you heard me say in the beginning that I'm a mess and I'm the least, so you know it's not me. So who is it? Does anybody like to volunteer to be the greatest among us? You say, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. So then we would put you up as the standard then because you've done more good than everybody else, right? Would anybody be so bold as to say that? But listen, some people are so bold to say that they're good enough to get to heaven. You know why they say that? Because they do the same thing. They just don't stand up in front of a group of people They just do it in their own heart. See, pride in your heart will kill you just as much as pride publicly will kill you. See, pride in your heart says, I'm good enough to get to God without God. I'm good enough to get to God without his terms, without his way, without his Christ. 
I'm good enough without God. That's pride. I don't care whether it's religious pride or atheistic pride. Pride is pride, and pride kills everybody. It keeps us from God. And when we stand and we think, I'm good enough, I'm good enough, none of us are good enough. So none of us are now the standard. And get this, after salvation, who now is the standard? The same one that was the standard before salvation, Jesus Christ. So I'm not the standard, you're not the standard, Jesus is the standard. You live up to Christ. You don't live up to me. I don't live up to you. We have soul liberty. We have individual liberty. Uh, we, we live up to the Lord Jesus Christ, and so he is the standard. See, in religion, uh, we say man is the standard, and after salvation, man continues to be the standard, and that's why we have so many religious problems. But in Christianity, Jesus Christ is the centered and the standard. He's the centered. He's the standard. He's the one that we have to live up to. You know, a lot of times in church, people say, well, I can't just, I can't live for God because so-and-so let me down. You know what that says? The reason why I was living for God was so-and-so. And the reason why I can't live for God anymore is because they're not living for God anymore. The pastor, uh, he was just, listen to me, uh, God forbid, I'm not trying to say that I, I, I want this, wish this, but I'm not the standard. If I fail and you fail because I fail, then you are looking the wrong place. Because I'm going to fail just like you're going to fail. We're all going to fail. Now I understand that we're held to high standards and we're, we're, we're to have convictions and Bible principles and live by them. I get it all. But the truth of the matter is we're not to parade them around like they're the reason why we're righteous. We're holy because God's holy. We're righteous because we're clothed in his righteousness and none of our works produce God's righteousness. Only God's works produce God's righteousness. And God only did a single work. It was on the cross of Calvary. He died for us. And when he did, his work was finished, finished, complete, done. So he says, this is my work. And then you became his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus unto good works. Why? Why? Because you have Christ in you. And Christ doesn't sit around and do nothing. Christ does good works. You ever read the life of Christ in the Bible? Why do you go around helping people and doing this and doing that, preaching the gospel and doing it right? Because he's in you. He's in you. If he's in you, you got to do what he does. We're like Christ. We're supposed to be, right? Christians like Christ. And so the strangers, the Gentiles, became fellow heirs. We became of equal benefit. And not only fellow heirs, but fellow members. Equal membership in God's family. We're, we're not just the stepchild. You get me? We're not just the stepchild. We're not just, you know, the other kid. We're not just, oh, this is mine and that's the other kid. No, no, that's not what God's saying. We're equal members. We are adopted into God's family, but in adoption, in adoption, the membership was equal as if born, because we are born. Have we not been born again? Except a man be born again. See, born again is not a term that we came up with. Born again is a term that Jesus came up with. He said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You say, oh, you're one of them born again, born again. All those crazy people, the born again people. Born again, that's what Jesus said. He said, you've been born one time, right? That birth, you were born in sin. And he said, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born into God's family if you're going to be a child. How can you be born again? How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus, a religionist, a religious man asked the same question to Jesus. How can I be born again? Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That John 3.16 was written to a religious man. Uh, he was Jesus speaking to a religious person. He's saying, hey, listen, you need to be, you need the new birth. You need to be born again. When you're born, you do things naturally. 
When you're born, you do things naturally. When, when you're not born, you get made to do things. You get forced to do things. You have to do things. You have to be conformed. You have to be, you have, you have to be made, made, made all the time. It's, it's amazing. Uh, so many times people say, I'm a Christian, and then they can't do anything that Christians do. They don't have any desire to. They don't want to. They don't want to. And they say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Listen, if you're a Christian, you're going to have a natural desire to do things that Christians do because it's, you're born into that family. Some people say, I don't understand the change in you. I understand the change in you. If anybody's ever said that to you that knew you before you were saved, you know why? Because you may not even see the change as much as they see the change, but the change in you and what they see is Jesus Christ. It's not some, you drank the Kool-Aid. It's not some, come on, come on. How many, how many uh, people in your family thought you drank some Kool-Aid somewhere? That's why when people come here, I say, we don't have any Kool-Aid. There's no curtains with smoke and all that kind of stuff. We don't, don't have any of that. We're not hiding anything. We're not going to bring out an animal and kill it. You know, we're, we're, we're not going to do any of that stuff. Uh, we're, we're not here to be strange. We were strangers, but now we've been made nigh. We've been made nigh. We're part of God's family. And see, you can be part of God's family too, not through some religious practice, but by faith in your heart. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, God, and he's the only way to God? And if you come to him in faith and you confess that you're a sinner, God will save you, the Bible says. The steward, the strangers, the spirits, the spirits were even affected by this. The angels. You say, what are you talking about? Look at, look at verse number 10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The Bible talks about the angels. They look at the church and they, it's a mystery to them. They don't understand They don't understand, and by the way, they didn't understand. And can I remind you that that Lucifer, even the devil himself, is an angel that's fallen. He didn't understand either. If Lucifer had understood what Jesus was going to do, he would have went about it, his attack and his onslaught on Christ a different way. See, what we know about angels is they're not omniscient like God is. They don't know all things, and the devil didn't know all things. The devil knew what was happening in real time. That's what he knew, except he was a little bit more insightful in that he believed the Scriptures. The devil believes and trembles. You understand? So he understands and believes the scriptures, believe the prophecy. So much so, you say, did the devil believe the prophecy of Christ being born into Bethlehem? Hey, this is Christmas time. It's what we're celebrating. Did, did, did the devil believe that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem? Sure did. Did he, did he believe that people were going to come and worship him and that people were going to come and bow before him and that he was going to be born in the manger, that he was going to be born in those... He didn't know exactly where, but he knew in the general vicinity. That's why he got in Herod, didn't he? What did Herod command? All those children be put to death, be killed. Why? There's the devil again. What's he trying to do? Mess up God's plan? Try to mess up God's plan? Why is he trying to... He's trying to do that all the way through, wasn't he? Temptation of Jesus Christ. He didn't even understand that was part of God's plan. Jesus was led of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted the devil. The devil didn't know that. The devil tried to trip him up, tried to make him stumble, tried to make him fall, attack him when he was weak. The devil thought at the cross that he had won. The devil thought at the cross he had won. He had heard the words of Christ. Listen, at the grave, he tried to hold him down. He tried to hold him in. He tried to keep him back, but he could not. He could not. And if the devil knew what God was going to do with the church, he would have had a whole different point of attack. If he knew that it was going to be Gentiles too, if he knew that it was going to be more than just Jews, 
He would have been messing with them too. He'd have been try- Listen, he tried. He couldn't do it. It was a mystery to him too. They didn't understand. Hey, listen, they didn't have God's wisdom. They didn't have God's wisdom. Notice, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God. It's the glory of God to conceal a thing, the Bible says. Fellowship which God, he had hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. I love that just verse number 9 out of the blue, God says, Jesus Christ created all things, by the way. All things were made by him. Creation, creation, creation. There it is right in the middle of Ephesians. He says, he says created all things, created all things by Jesus Christ. Was not, without him was not anything made that was made, John tells us. Same Jesus. Without him was not anything made that was made to the intent that now, that now unto the principalities and powers. He says, now they know. They understand God's wisdom. God's wisdom. God had a plan that they didn't understand. God had a redemption plan that they didn't get. Listen, when Jesus left heaven, when Jesus took on flesh, when Jesus came and he was born, when Jesus did all that he did, the, the, the angels, listen, don't you think they were waiting for a, a word from Jesus to come and snatch him off the cross? Don't you think they were waiting for a word from Jesus for him to command it? All his enemies would be made to footstool? Don't you think they were waiting uh, for his beckoning call, for him to say whatever he wanted to say, that he would just speak like they, like they commanded him to do at the cross? Those unbelievers, what they do. If you're the Christ, if you're the Christ, command that the angels would come and, and take you off the cross or just take yourself off the cross. Don't you think the angels were waiting to do that? They were waiting, waiting for his commanding call, but he never gave the command. Don't you think that was a mystery to them? Why? Why? Why all of this? Why this torment? Why this pain? Why the one who we have been, since the beginning of time, at the throne, been worshiping? Why is this happening to him? Why is this happening to him? This is who we worship. This is who we adore. This is, this is who we, we all the time are blessing and honor and glory and power. I mean, the angels, it was a mystery, but God had wisdom beyond theirs, didn't he? Can I remind you that God has much more wisdom than the devil ever had? Much more wisdom, has more understanding. You think that sometimes we look at this world, we think the devil's winning. He never has been, never will be, never will. He's not winning. He's not winning. God's plan's still in place. Listen, it looked terrible at the cross, didn't it? Looking back at the cross, don't we cherish the old rugged cross? Don't we cherish, we sang about the blood today, don't we cherish the blood that was shed? Don't we remember it when we take the Lord's table? We cherish it, don't we? The broken body, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We cherish these things. They're precious to us. They're so precious to us. We look back, we understand now the mystery, but it was unfolding before them. They had no understanding. It was God's wisdom. It's God's will. God's will. Come on. Tell me real time at the cross, you'd look at the cross and say, Oh, I understand. This is God's perfect will. No way. I would never look at a man suffer the way Jesus suffered on a cross and think that was God's will. You with me? But don't we do that today? Don't we question God in the same way? We look at things in life. We look at people. We look at destruction. We look at, we look at bad things happen to good people. We look at all these things we say. There's no way that that's God's will. There's no way that that's God's will. There's no, we don't understand, do we? We don't have the understanding. Now we see through a glass darkly. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, 
we will see, we will be known, even as also we're known. We're going to, but then, that's, that's a good thing to circle in your Bible, now and then, in those verses. Now we see through a glass dark, it's kind of like, outside's dark, we're inside, we have the light in here, but there's no light out there, we're looking outside, we're looking through the glass, we're looking through the window, it's dark outside, we can't make it out, we can't clearly see it, we don't understand it, but then we will understand it. It looks dark to us. It looks mysterious to us. It's scary to us. Ever see something in the dark that scared you in the light you laughed at it? Y'all awake today? Everybody okay? Or some of you are going to have somebody come by with a defibrillator. Clear? All right. Some of your head, your eyes roll back in your head and all that good stuff, right? Say, so he's talking about me? <laughs> you know, we, we, uh, you know, you ever see something in the dark and it scared you? In the light? But in the light? You thought, why in, that, why in the world was I ever afraid of that? Why in the world was I ever afraid of that? That's kind of like it is in this world. Listen, one day we're going to see in the light what we saw in the dark, and we're going to say, why in the world was I ever afraid of that? Why in the world did that ever scare me? Why in the world did I ever, ever have, why did I lose one minute of sleep? Why, why did I get anxious? Why, and listen, I'm not saying that we don't, we do. But one day we're going to look and we're going to understand. We're going to see it in the light. And we're going to know, hey, I didn't have any reason because God was with me through it all. God never left me. He never forsook me. He was with me all the way. When I couldn't take it, he carried me. When I couldn't bear it, he bore it for me. I was in the yoke with him and he bore me all the way. He helped me. He kept me from falling when I would have fallen. He's with us. The spirits didn't even understand. The steward, the strangers, the spirits, and lastly, the saints. The saints. Believers today. You say, what do you mean about believers today? Well, there's a problem today because the church has again become a mystery. You say, what are you talking about? What should be abundantly clear to people, what a church is, has become a mystery once again. You say, what are you talking about? Most people don't know what a church is. They don't. You say church, they think building. I'm talking about Christians. You say church, they think building. I'm talking about saved people. You, you say church, they think service. You say church, they think three hours of the week. You don't see a problem with this? I see a big problem with this. It's the reason why we're not turning the world upside down. Because the church of Acts 2 was the church every day, 24 hours, seven days a week. They weren't confined to a building. They weren't even confined to a location. They met where they could. They met when they could. They met however they could. You say, you, you wish we'd go back to that? No. I'm not saying that we need to go back to whenever, however. Some of you come to church that way anyway. You come whenever, however, you know, whenever. You know, <laughs> even though we give a time, you know. <laughs> It's just, you know, it's New Jersey, you know, just get there whenever, you know. He'll wait for us, you know. But, you know, you know uh, it's, it's interesting that most people today don't even get what a church is. They think a church is pews. They think a church is walls. They think a church is organs and pianos. They think a church is candles. They think a church is stained glass. They, they, they think a church is placards on walls and things that people make. A church is what God makes. Without God, we can't have a church. We can have a church without these walls. We can have a church without these screens. We can have this church without my outline. 
We can have a church without pews and carpet. We can have a church without heat and air conditioning. I'm glad for it all. We can have a church without the lights. We, we can have a church without a property. But we can't have a church without God. See, some people, they, they equate church to all this stuff. And then they stop being the church because they just go to church. And we lose the truth of what church is. We're so enamored with the specials and the message and the pastor and all how great this is and how great that is. And listen to me, I'm thankful for the respect and all that stuff, but not to be worshiped, not to, not to, be, not to be put on a pedestal, not to be even emulated. God puts people gifts, I understand, fitly joined in the body, all that stuff. And God knows where we are and what we need in order to have church and reach this area for Christ. And so I'm not going to tear down the walls today because God gave them to us. I'm not going to rip up the padding on the pews because God gave them to us, and miraculously he did. But this stuff does not a church make. It's amazing how we could have all this stuff in an empty room and think we had church. We need people. Because the people are the church. Without you, we don't have church. And that's why it's so important that you come. Because you're the church. How can we have church without the church? People think, oh, they're going to have church with or without me because the church is there. No, the church is not there if you're not there. Because you're the church. Now we get it. I'm the church. Yes. Yes. You remember we used to do this with the kids? Here's the church and here's the steeple. Open the door and see all the people. You know, I did it wrong. I'm sorry. Open the door and see all the people, you know. You know, we used to do that. See all the people? Now you open the doors and wonder where they're at. Why? Because we got the wrong view of church. We think church is just the church. Oh, I'm going to the church. And I, I get it. I get it why we say we're going to church and all that stuff. But wouldn't it be better if we had a resurgence of truth where people began to understand once again what the church was? That it's an organism. It's a body. It's a body. It's not a building. It's a body. And we're the body. We are the body of Christ. And God has put us into this body together. One day, we're all going to be part of this big church in the sky. And get this, it's not going to be confined to walls. It's not going to be confined to walls. You're not going to go to church on Sunday. You're not going to go to church on Wednesday. There won't be service time. So when you, when that, that thing that you're waiting for, that's heaven. Okay, we're not there yet, obviously. So now we have service times and different things like that. Because we need to, because we're human beings, right? Because if we didn't, we'd be here like one or two people and then one or two people. And I'd never go home. Because I had to preach to everybody as they came. You know, but we, we, we come here, we're, we're coming together. We're gathering together in his name because God says we should not forsake it. Why should we not forsake it? Because of why God said we should gather. The Bible says that we should not forsake it because we need to come together to provoke one another to love and to good works. That's why we gather together, to provoke one another to love and good works. See, you thought it so you have somebody to lean on and take a nap or to keep warm or, or to you know, do this or do that. No, no, we're coming together to provoke one another to love and good works. So what does that mean? We have relationships with each other. Well, pastor, you know, relationships, you know, I'm, I'm non-committal. You know, I, I don't want to commit. I don't want to commit. I don't, and that's what people are. They're non-committal to the church because they think they're joining an organization instead of an organism. You're born into an organism. 
And when you're born into the body of Christ, you're born into the church. Are you with me? You're born into the church. You should function within the local New Testament church naturally. You should build relationships with other Christians around you naturally. It should be organic. It shouldn't have to be made. It shouldn't be, have to happen. Sometimes we organize fellowship. We organize times to come together. We organize study groups. We organize these things. Why? Because we want to be the church together. That's why. And who said that was important? Well, God did. And we need a resurgence of truth, don't we? A resurgence of truth. We need, to, we need people to stop looking at... Listen, you don't think people think church is pews? Try to change pews to chairs and see what happens. It just doesn't feel like church anymore. Change the lighting and see what happens. Change the platform and see what happens. Well, it just doesn't feel like... It just doesn't feel, like what? Like 1950, like 1960, like 1970, like 1980. What era of church or what decade of church are you referring to? Because we're not referring to Bible church. We're referring to our view of church. Then we go over the mission field and we're okay with the fact that they don't have buildings and tents. I'm sorry, Brother brother Warner's here. He meets in a tent. Does he not have a church because they meet in a tent in Zambia, Africa? Is that a church? They don't have walls. They don't have a roof. They don't have pews. Well, they do have pews. Not like these. I sat on them. There was a lady sitting in the corner on a blanket. I thought that was awesome. Some of you ladies would like to do that. Put your blanket. Some of you guys bring your blanket and pillow anyway. You might as well. <laughs> but they, you know, they, they, you know, they, they have that. That's still a church, right? They just don't understand. We we have this American view. That's church. You say, well, I live in America. So do I. That's why we have some of the things that we have. But if they're ever at the cost of what real church is, I think we should slay them. Why? You're trying to, you're trying to blow, burst everybody's bubble? No, no. I'm trying to have a resurgence of truth because I think we need more of the truth. You with me? Talk about truth, truth, truth. People harping for truth, 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 and very little truth is coming out of their mouth. Talk about how important truth is and very little of the Bible. Very little of the Bible. That's why people have this understanding of what church is. Church is the, the thing that we've put up in front of people. That's church. No, church is who you are today. Are we a good church? I think we are, but I don't think it has anything to do with the property, the buildings, or any of that. It's the people. It's the people. And you know what? We could move this body of people into another building we could still have church. Listen, we, we have church because we are the church. And if we get lose sight of that, we'll stop having real church. We'll come and worship something other than Jesus. And we'll lose the purpose for why we're here. And then we won't be salt and light. We won't accomplish what we're supposed to in this world. We need a resurgence. We need a revival. We need a revival. Revival is what God gives. Truth is what he gave us. Resurgence of truth is what we need. Truth is what God's given us. We need to speak the truth. Revival is what God gives when we do what he said. When we speak the truth, God brings revival. You say, you think God can bring revival here? I've already seen it. But when you see change, when you see people changing, when you see people getting saved, when you, when you see God changing hearts, you know God's doing a work. And what do you want? More? More of that? Less of us, more of that. Less of us, more of that. Just tools, just, 
just instruments in God's hands. Just do what God wants us to do. Just, just keep speaking the truth. Just keep doing what God wants so that God can keep bringing revival. Does America need revival? Does this world need revival? In a day where people are using platforms and podiums to tell lies, I want to use my hour to speak truth. Is that okay? Because we need a resurgence of truth. We need revival. Yes, God had a secret, but God does not want it to be a secret anymore. If you understand your wonderful position in Christ, then live up to it. Share the blessing with others. This secret was important to Paul, to the Gentiles, and to the angels, and it ought to be important to you and I today. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.